Okay, so welcome back uh, to this is part two of what is now a, a very long episode on this issue of gun control, the Second Amendment, mass shootings. But I think it's getting long because it's touching on a lot of important things. So uh, I think definitely by the end of this episode, you'll have learned a lot of things you didn't expect, and uh, you may your opinion may have changed. Uh, yep. Okay, so at this march I went to in Manhattan Beach, California, uh, I had the privilege to uh, listen to Congressman Ted Lieu uh, give a give a speech at the event. Uh, you may be familiar with Ted Lieu uh, if you watch MSNBC because I've seen their uh, him there on there many times, basically berating the president saying some of the most uh, out there kind of vitriolic things about the president, about his mental health, about his per- temperament, about, uh, I mean, you know, everything. Uh, but he said that with a smile on his face and very politely, and I, I honestly think he's he seems like a very affable, nice guy, but at the same time, he says the cra- some of the craziest things. Uh so uh, he uh, he is a congressman in the uh, California's thirty third thirty third federal district, which is actually uh, it starts at uh, the Rancho Palos Verdes area, which is in south uh, Los in the southern uh, part of Los Angeles, right on the coast, and it goes all the way up through Beverly Hills, Calabasas, Fairfax District, uh, Malibu, Pacific Palisades, Santa Monica, UCLA, Venice. So it's right up the coast. Uh, it's quite a big district, uh, you know, affluent, um, an affluent district, uh, median income of $60,000 a year, uh, 70% white district. Uh, so yeah, seems like a, 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 a gerrymandered uh, Democrat district. Um, so uh, Ted Lieu became the congressman there in 2014 after replacing uh the, the previous representative, Henry Waxman, who announced his retirement after 40 years in Congress. And Ted Lieu is also the uh, assistant uh, whip. Nancy Pelosi uh, uh, selected him as the assistant whip uh, in, in the House. Um, so, uh, you know, it seems like he has a, a fairly high position um, in uh, Nancy Pelosi's uh, Democratic, you know, minority uh, House, uh, House Democrats. Uh, So that is something to consider as we listen to him. Um, But here, uh, hear what he has to say uh, and note that uh, despite, you know, the ambiguous uh, name of the march, March for Our Lives, here he is uh, talking about specifically gun control. Some of you are here also because gun violence has affected you deeply. And we are here to tell you we are fighting for you and your loved ones that could not be here today. Abraham Lincoln had a right when he said that public sentiment is everything. With it, nothing can fail. Without it, nothing can succeed. Understand your power to shape public sentiment. 
The fact that you're here today shows me that you understand that power. And with rallies across America, and millions of people in all these different cities and rural areas are marching, it's very clear to me the days of the NRA are numbered. Yeah, so right from the beginning, uh, he makes clear that uh, what he's against right now is the NRA. So let's uh, keep on listening. So what the NRA and people try to do is they try to make it very simplistic and say, oh, blame Congress. No. It is specifically Republicans in Congress. On this issue, it is not a democratic problem. We've been fighting for this for years. We had a sit-in last year on gun violence. We have introduced legislation to fix gun violence. We can't even get a vote. So the only way to fix this, you're just going to have to change the makeup of Congress this November. So Lou is pretty adamant that, uh, uh, you know, uh, the issue is gun control and that Republicans are not helping with Democrats, and Democrats have been trying very hard to pass various thing, various measures to, uh, to uh, enact gun control and thus stop uh, mass shootings in his view. And he just tells everyone there, you know, what we have to do is replace all your Republican uh, Congress people, if you live in Republican districts, uh, with Democrats, and that's our only chance because Republicans are not going to work with us. All right, let's keep on listening. I have two children in public school, one in high school, one in middle school. This is giving me a lot of anxiety, the violence that we're seeing. There is one thing that is similar to what happened in Parkland, in Newtown, in Las Vegas, Pulse nightclub at a church in Texas. The one thing that's the same is assault weapons were used. I served in the military. I have two marksmanship ribbons. I understand what assault weapons can do. There's no reason civil society needs them. Okay, so we can see this is very personal to him. He's not just phoning it in. He does have two uh, school-aged children who he's very concerned about regarding mass shootings. Um, and moreover, he has military experience and he has marksmanship badges, so he knows about guns. Uh, and in his view, uh, assault weapons are unnecessary, and um, by removing them, we can uh, stop the gun problem. So I'm concluding now by just naming names. I'm going to name five legislators who are preventing us from voting on common sense done by them They are the nearest ones near you. So we have Representative Steve Knight in the Ventura, L.A. County area. We have Congressmember Mimi Walters in Orange County. Congressman Ed Royce in Orange County. Congressman Dana Rohrbach in Orange County. Congressman Dara Issa in San Diego. Hillary Clinton won all those districts in 2016. We can flip them, go on and work and help us take out the house. Thank you. So you can see that he's pretty animated about this issue. Um, as he was saying before, he doesn't have any faith in the Republicans. So 
uh, he says kick him out. And true to his word, he gives everyone a list of Republicans that they need to uh, kick out and assures them that Hillary Clinton won all those districts um, so they could get a Democrat in there. And, the, you know, he says that once they get enough Democrats, uh, the, the tide will turn and, and gun control and new gun control measures will be placed because Republicans are just, um, you know, obstructing any efforts to get them passed. Uh, you can also see how uh, biased the, uh, well, or the, the part, it's a strong partisanship in the crowd because you can see how they're all cheering uh, when he talks about overthrowing Republicans. And you can see how they boo very loudly uh, at the names of the Republicans. So you can see it's a partisan crowd, uh, and people are very, you know, animated, heated, um, and feel very strongly about this issue. Uh, so to summarize, um, it's interesting to listen to Ted, Ted Lu speak at the event. But once you hear him speak, you kind of lose the illusion uh, that this is a simply an event about um, about um, like stopping school shootings or you know school safety or just mourning the victims. Uh, there's a clear gun control message um, from Ted Lieu, who was pretty much like the keynote speaker over there. Um, and I mean, you know, he is a, uh, former, uh, you know, he's a veteran, marksman badges, and he has his own children. And I, I believe, you know, he's authentic in his, his belief that gun control is the solution and, you know, fairly reasonable saying that, uh, most people d don't need assault weapons in, in daily life as someone who has experience with assault weapons. Um, yeah, I don't think he's, uh, being, uh, inauthentic or, or anything. Um, but one thing just to note is that, you know, it's very easy to, to get liberals galvanized over the NRA and, and about, uh, guns and it's sort of the elephant in the room, but the obvious reason is just because liberals don't use guns. Uh, liberals, I mean, guns are more often found in rural areas where conservatives live. And I, I think liberals, because in my experience, you know, being a Santa Monica liberal growing up, you know, uh, being a liberal is typically about feeling superior to the people in the middle of the country. It was, it was always about those idiots. Why do they support, uh, why are they against abortion? They're backwards. Those idiots, why do they use guns? Those idiots. Why don't they? Why don't they want higher taxes? Why are they helping the rich? It's always, there's always that superiority quality, um, in being an LA liberal. Uh, so I, I think it just, you know, part of it is it's really easy to galvanize liberals over guns because they don't use them. Yeah, get liberals to protest kale. What if they found out that, um, you know, people were getting beaten manufacturing kale? Get liberals to protest that. No, it's very easy for them to. To, to protest something they don't use at all, uh, and it helps them, it lets them feel superior. Uh, just being honest from my experience as a liberal. We chose not to get involved. We chose not to vote. We thought it would go away, just like a made-for-TV movie. 
We iPhone away the mounting pressures of parenting, of teaching, of getting old, of distracting ourselves with gadgets and texts. Instead of rethinking our practices, our institutions, our very selves, we drop the ball. So, so you can see that this teacher is uh, very impassioned and she just says, you know, we dropped the ball as a society for, for a variety of reasons. There's a variety of ways in which we've dropped the ball and it's not just about guns. And she doesn't even mention guns at all. There's just a lot of failure. So as I said, it's, this was a, an interesting event. You, you had people of, of various backgrounds, of different beliefs. People who are very passionate, a lot of heart. But then I also have this feeling that there was an organized push by some liberal groups and you had uh, liberal activists uh, such as Ted Lieu, who is no, you know, it's no small fish. He's a assistant whip in the minority in the House Minority Party. So we, you, you got, you got both sides of the coin. You see, you got liberals who are pushing a specific agenda, gun control, and you've got concerned citizens. Uh, another thing I, I've heard people talking about, I heard some people at, at the event talking about was they were upset that uh, conservatives in the NRA had accused liberals of, of using children as like human shields or using children uh, you know, to advocate for their cause. And um, in my opinion, it is it's partially correct that uh, children have been used. You know, my first reaction when I saw a bunch of these kids on TV is just, okay, Democrats, they've, they've used every, they've used every, like, sex, every race, every religion, like, they've used every minority they could find to promote their ideas, and now they finally found, you know, what was, what's more innocent than kids, right? What's more powerless than kids? They finally found the newest target. Uh, you know, liberals don't like hearing that, but, you know, as a cynic, that was my perspective. Uh, when I see these uh, people on TV, these kids, and I see, like, the same kids keep appearing, and I hear they got agents, and, and yeah, I think, I think it was deliberate to use kids as an effective tactic. Um, and, and, you know, they, I've seen these, uh, these protests seen as youth led protest okay they're not they're not youth led uh you know clearly the organizers are adults and in my view it's you know probably liberal groups who organized it primarily uh it's it's youth led just as those women's marches were women led you know it wasn't it wasn't women who come up with ideas the the, the idea to do those women's march in general it's specifically the ones uh that are part of liberal groups uh, with that said, I heard some you know very impassioned speeches from students. They were really upset um, about about what they saw around them and the fear they felt and all those um, safety drills they had to do. And but uh, by the same token, you know, they weren't as ex like Ted Ted Lou with their gun control obsession. You know, they, one of them said, you know, I I respect that people have a Second Amendment, but we just need to do things. Um, just need to do things to keep kids safe. And I think she cited like the increasing nature 21 and the bump stock laws. Um, uh, 
uh, things like things like that. So you can see this kind of this swath. You have the people who have, uh, you know, their honest sentiments on the matter, who might have some gunk thoughts about gun control, or you know, don't really see gun control as the main solution. And then you have the actual politician, where it's all about gun control. It's all about fighting Republicans. Uh, so there you can see the difference between regular people and politicians. Um, tying back to what I was saying at, um, previously about reactionary uh, policies that are meant to people to console people after a tragedy, uh, look at the laws that were passed. First of all, a bump stock law. No bump stock. If you don't know what bump stock is, it it turns a semi-automatic weapon into a fully automatic weapon because it like it keeps the trigger held down or it like pushes the trigger automatically because the the thing about if you don't know about assault rifles why they're called that they refer to these um weapons that are that you know are kind of big weapons um but they still require manual um shooting uh you're required to pull the trigger every time you shoot so the bump stock is what the las vegas uh killer used to turn his weapon into a fully automatic weapon where he just sat down and then just rained lead everywhere but you can see the problem with this reactionary thinking okay it makes people feel better that after las vegas oh okay we have the bump stock law it's not going to happen again but the problem is every incident is different and of course in this case in the florida case he didn't use a bump stock and he killed still killed a bunch of people well, what's the problem oh he was too young uh, so we got raised to age of 21. Okay, raised to age of 21. You know what? He does the same exact thing. He just waits three years. You know what I mean? Oh, he's gonna get smarter. I don't think so. Um, it, but you see how these re, all these are just reactionary matters. They're just messing with people's emotions. That's all it's about. It's about making the people feel better in the moment. How about the next killer? I mean, uh, you know, what what could it be? They're gonna just it's going to be something different every single there's going to be something unique about the circumstance every time and they're going to do something but obviously whatever they do is not going to stop it but it'll make people feel better in the moment so that's this ties into exactly what i was saying about the psychological emotional um you know kind of policy making and how i think it's such a terrible idea like ultimately here's what i want to say about gun control People are, are serious about gun control, and they will be talking about it when tragedies are over. I mean, that's what I have to say. Like, months after tragedies, people will be still talking about it. But the fact that people only talk about it right after tragedies for like a month or, or so um, tells me that it's just about emotion, psychology, about the horror of it, about feeling better. And it's not a serious issue. For most Americans. Okay, so now I want to transition to uh, talking about the Second Amendment and why uh, that was actually created, giving us the right to bear arms. And to do so, I'm going to use a segment from the show Life, Liberty, and Levin that aired just yesterday. So in this episode, uh, Mark Levin is talking to Senator Mike Lee from Utah. 
Welcome back. We're here with Senator Lee. Senator Lee, a lot of talk about the Second Amendment lady, lately, the horrible shooting in Florida, and we have these horrible shootings from time to time. And it seems like the immediate reaction is to limit the Second Amendment. The Bill of Rights, what are they for? What are the Bill of Rights for, all of them? They're there to protect us against the danger associated with the excessive accumulation of power in the hands of the few. The Constitution does that in structural ways through federalism and separation of powers, but it also uh, protects certain substantive rights. Certain things are identified that are beyond the reach of any government. Based on uh, human historical experience, uh, uh, the, the drafters of the Bill of Rights identified certain areas where government just shouldn't be able to act. It's one of the reasons why they took off the table, uh, messing with people's religious freedom uh, or their freedom of expression in the First Amendment. In the Second Amendment, they wanted to make sure that the right to bear arms was protected, and so that's what they did. The Bill of Rights uh, matters. The Bill of Rights is important, and we shouldn't lightly take away or erode any right that's protected in the Bill of Rights. So I think it's really important what Mike Lee says here. Uh, concerning the Second Amendment in the Bill of Rights. Um, you know, the modern liberal critic is going to just, they'll refer in passing to the oh, Second Amendment, it's an old piece of text, that's where, the Bill of, that's where uh, gun rights are in the Bill of Rights, so what, it's old. But it, it, Mike Lee really, you know, clarifies the, the significance of it. This is our founding document, the our uh, Constitution and the Bill of Rights, uh, the founding document that has been revered um, by civilizations all around the world as one of the uh, first uh, free governments. Um, and uh, the Second Amendment, uh, which gives us gun rights, is you know number two right after freedom of speech. Now, everyone knows that you know, freedom of speech is important. They couldn't imagine a society without freedom of speech. Um, so while that's why it was number one, because the founders also knew that from, as Mike Lee says, human experience, that societies without freedom of speech become tyrannical. So then there's the Second Amendment, which is a little bit more uh, controversial. Uh, but it's pretty clear to me that at that time, 1776 or 1789, that... Uh, their experience is that societies where citizens were not allowed to defend themselves uh, were more likely to be tyrannical where the government could abuse them. And there's all sorts of uh, counter arguments from liberals saying, look, that was then, but this is now. We, 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 um, we can't worry about governments becoming tyrannical and people needing to, like, fight back with weapons because that's not going to happen. We know what we're doing at this point. We're more civilized. Um, you know, which is, you know, a fair argument. It's definitely understandable. But I, I still think um, that, you know, I think Mike Lee makes a great point that uh, after speaking your mind, uh, the founders felt it was second in importance to um, to give people the right to bear arms to defend themselves. So I really think we have to think about that. That as soon 
as we start infringing on people's right to defend themselves. And we can, you know, define defend ourselves in arms uh, differently. We can choose what constitutes enough self-defense. But as soon as we start infringing on that, we're infringing on something fundamental, on people's uh, property rights, themselves, their land, and to people's freedoms. So now let's listen to the rest of what Mike Lee has to say. But you stand on the Senate floor and you hear your colleagues debating gun control, debating certain types of guns. Uh, many of them debate guns. They don't know much about guns. But they talk about it like it's some kind of a pork bill. We're talking about the Bill of Rights. We're talking about the Second Amendment. Do you stand there and look at them and say to them in your own mind, do you even understand that this is a constitutional right? It's not something which you can treat like a piece of bologna, you know, where you're just cutting it up. What goes through your mind? The first thing that goes through my mind is the fact that what triggers some of these conversations is the commission of a crime, a, a heinous act one that usually involves the violation, uh, the simultaneous violation of dozens of laws. And in that circumstance, the, the impulse that says somebody's violated dozens of laws, we must therefore pass another law, doesn't itself instinctively uh, make me want to join that effort. You add to that the fact that it's a constitutionally protected right that we might be being asked to infringe, and also the fact that you, you've got the rights of the law-abiding and, and what a given law might do to interfere with the day-to-day -day lives of law-abiding American citizens as compared to what it might do to deter or prevent or protect us against violent criminal activity. And, and it makes for a much more nuanced conversation than many people want to have. But I think it's important for us to have that conversation rather than just instinctively giving in to the impulse to create yet another law. Uh, so Mike Lee makes a great uh, point here, and it kind of ties back to what I was saying about uh, human psychology and that uh, when we see this horrendous act, we have an instinct, uh, a psychological instinct, uh, to pass a law that will make things better. But as Mike Lee points out, when you step back um, and you look at it, well, he didn't just actually break one law so just to making one law about guns isn't going to fix it he broke tons of laws about stealing things um about you know trespassing uh murder uh gun possession he broke tons of laws so you know before you start changing gun laws you can uh, change other laws um or like make other laws stricter um but that's part of the issue when we deal with these mentally ill people because like as Mark Levin has mentioned in the past you know what law we have that prevents people from murdering people with guns it's a law against murder is that if you murder someone you're most likely getting a death sentence or a life sentence depending on where you live so for that for most people that law is not to stop them from murdering it's just that um, there's irrational because the mentally ill are irrational um, people who will uh, disregard laws that make sense and that's where uh, these ideas of legislation uh, stem from it's about how to prevent mentally ill people who don't whose brains don't calculate rationally uh, from, from from doing things 
Um, but as Mike Lee mentions, there's a multitude of laws he broke. And, you know, we instead of changing a, um, a, a law about what guns he can own, what if we change the laws to make it harder to buy guns? Or what if we, uh, you know, increase security on school and it's not about laws? Uh, what if we deal with mentally ill people differently? So, so when you step back, you'll see it's not just about guns. And uh, as Mike Lee mentions at the end, he says, you know, what, you know, what about all the ways in which uh, people, Americans, use guns to defend themselves, um, and how it helps the 99.9% of law-abiding, non-crazy citizens? Because that's just part of the trade-off. Because people get caught up in this hysteria, right? 18 kids die. Well, you know, ultimately, the value of the right of everybody is sadly more important than just 18 kids. So. So if you're going to infringe on people's rights, right, for safety, for preventing tragedies, you know, how how much can you infringe on everyone's life just to prevent a few tragedies? And the answer is not too much. But as Mike Lee says, it's an important discussion for our nation uh, to have because, you know, the shootings are a problem. So in conclusion... What should we do about this epidemic of gun violence, um, you know, occurring tragically of all places in, in schools, elementary, middle school, and high schools, little kids, children are in fear now of someone coming to shoot their school, occurring at, um, you know, massive Las Vegas concerts where innocent people are just mowed down by a deranged man, or... Uh, you know, even on not a gun issue, but the, the bombings that recently occurred, the Austin bomber, another crazed individual, someone who went off the rails and became a sociopath, um, the church shootings, all these shoot uh, shootings and other events. So um, what should we do? And I, my, my view right now is to be pragmatic. So I think that the there is a fundamental Second Amendment right to have a gun, to have to bear arms, and that should not be infringed. Uh, for the most part, that that is how it should be. We regard this Second Amendment as very important to us. However, we have to legislate and act according to what is going on, the unique circumstances of the moment. Okay. Um, it's just like, uh, you know, after 9-11. Now, some people say these were mo more psychological measures than anything. and But, you know, the TSA checks at the airports increased. Why? It's because terrorists were bombing airports. No, they're not bombing everywhere, right? So if terrorists are only, oh, sorry, with planes. If terrorists are only using planes, then we're going to check planes. Now, it's a bit of a bad example because a lot of people will contest that it was mostly for psychological reasons that that we did those screenings. It was just to make people feel better. But you know, but still, uh, uh, you know, even if it was, why not use a similar approach? For example, if we know that mentally ill kids, uh, high school age, uh, like to shoot up schools with assault weapons, then be extremely vigilant to make sure that no mentally ill kids 
have weapons. I mean, now in the Florida case, it, it seemed like an absurd scenario where the, the parents claimed they didn't know anything about their kid. They didn't know we had weapons. But, uh, you know, how about we start being more vigilant? If you have a mentally ill kid, ask the parents, does he have any weapons? Can you double check he has no weapons? Does he have any friends with weapons? Do you have weapons? How about questions like that? We, ha we have to address the situation because we know that mentally ill high school kids right now, they're, they're sh uh, doing shootings. They're not doing bombings. They're not doing poisonings. They're doing shootings. They prefer assault weapons, typically. Uh, so since we so, so we have to react to exactly what is going on uh, right now. And in the case that shootings, you know, that these students uh, are preferring assault weapons and they are preferring schools at their targets, then we need to focus on those two things. We can infringe on the rights of, you know, privacy and the rights of Second Amendment because we have to deal with the specific issue that's currently going on right now. Uh, so then since it's schools, you know, ramp up security at schools. Uh, teachers, if they want, can have a concealed weapon. Obviously not all teachers. Obviously if you don't like guns, you don't have to have them. Um, you know, having security cards at schools. If you have one or two who can, you know, control the, the area, uh, you know, shooters are not going to get anywhere. You know, even the groundskeeper who's trained with the gun, things like that. Uh, we can't give in to this hysteria about, you know, you can't trust people with guns. You know, clearly we do trust people with guns, with concealed carry permits in their house. And for the most part, they're used with, for peaceful purposes. But what I'm saying is we need to focus on the issues at hand and doing all sorts of, you know, measures to, to uh, you know, to, to deal with situations, not just gun control, but uh, mental health um, background checks, you know, making sure the mentally ill people are, are, are confined and not endangers themselves or others. You know, that applies because the, the real common thread we have is not about high school students or bump stocks. It's about lately it's been mentally ill people uh, with guns who have killed people. Um, so how about something with mental health and guns? How about if you know somebody who has a mental issue, make sure they don't have any guns. If you think they might have guns, um, don't let them have them. And particularly if they're the kind of person whose mental health issue could make them become violent. And you know that's where mental health professionals need to be vigilant. Um, we really just need to uh, address the issue at hand uh, and, and not try to make a whole big philosophical uh, precedent about guns in general. So that uh, concludes today's two-part episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope I've given you some things to think about. I've certainly enjoyed thinking through a lot of these things uh, and these challenges. And, you know, I hope now you have a little bit of a different perspective and you have some things you can discuss with your friends. Because as Mike Lee said, this is this gun issue definitely does not have a straightforward solution. And there's plenty of, of reasonable uh, and as well as, you know, passionate arguments on both sides. So uh, we, we really need to have this uh, conversation uh, in a reasonable way, not only after tragedies, but uh, in, in a more calmer uh, way. 
and we can and then uh, we'll be able to come to a reasonable conclusion about guns about you know how how like how much or how what types of guns a person should be able to own and um, uh, we can come to uh, the right conclusion and then we'll be better off for it so uh, thanks for listening and this is George signing out